Welcome to Many Voices, One Community, DLA Piper's podcast series, where we explore challenges and successes around diversity and inclusion. My name is Natalie Voiko, and I'm the Senior Manager of Diversity and Inclusion at DLA Piper and one of the leaders of DLA Piper's LGBTQ resource group, IRIS, focused on advancing and advocating for our LGBTQ community. And I'm Roderick Hawkins, Director of Communications at Advance Illinois, and a member of the Board of Directors of Lambda Legal, an organization committed to achieving full recognition of the civil rights of lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, and transgender people, as well as people living with HIV AIDS through litigation, education, and public policy work. Roderick, it's terrific to be here with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. It's my pleasure, Natalie, and I really want to just thank DLA Piper. You uh, Tatiana and everyone on the DNI team, Fenimore, uh, for this opportunity. Roderick, your background is impressive. You have had an evolution of roles within nonprofit and state and local government. Your commitment and passion to serve marginalized communities is clear. You're currently the communications director at Advanced Illinois, a policy and advocacy organization working towards building a healthy public education system. You were the deputy chief of staff for public engagement for the city of Chicago under former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, the vice president of external affairs at the Chicago Urban League, and the director of communications for the Louisiana Family Recovery Corps. You currently sit on the board of directors for Lambda Legal, in addition to holding several other board seats for various organizations across Chicago. Tell us more about your background and your commitment and passion to serve marginalized communities, Roderick. Uh, thank you, Natalie. And that was very kind um, opening. I, um, I was born and raised, and I think this is helpful to share, especially on as we're recording this um, on Juneteenth. Um, I was born and raised in um, Louisiana, in the South, in Baton Rouge. And I was raised in a family that believed in the adage, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, I was raised by um, parents who did not um, ever walk into a college classroom, but made, made it very clear to me throughout my, you know, K through 12 education, that college was not, was not an option, it was a requirement. And, and, we, and coming from a family that we can easily trace our um, roots back to slavery in this nation, I was also raised to be proud of who I was as a black person. And, but knowing that once I achieved things and once I got the degree and began to work that I had to give back. So there was a very, I was raised in a household that was very serious about civic engagement, about being connected to the community. And as I, you know, eventually came out, that commitment to being civically engaged and being connected to the community expanded. In addition to my commitment to the Black community, it also expanded to the LGBTQ community. And of course, there's that merger now that we're at where, I, where I've been able to work not just in separate silos, but even together. So for me, um, I moved to Chicago in 2001 and uh, spent three years here at the Chicago Community Trust. And I went back to Louisiana for three years later to work for the governor of Louisiana, the then governor, the late governor Kathleen Pavano Blanco as her deputy press secretary. And in that role, I mean, it was a wonderful experience, but of course a very trying one because for those who remember 15 years ago, Hurricane Katrina, you know, just devastated our state and Hurricane uh, Rita was right behind her. It was a trying experience, a tough experience. But and then after, I, afterwards, I left her administration and, and joined the Louisiana Reco Recovery Corps, Family Recovery Corps, which you mentioned. And then on from there, I came back to Chicago because I loved, I love this city so much, um, even with its challenges. And I, I always felt it was important to be a part, to be a part and connect to the community that I live in and the community that that the communities that define who I am as a black man, as a gay man. Um, so for me, it was. I didn't see, it's, I don't see it much as work. I see it as 
part of my life's purpose to be a public servant. And sometimes politicians say that, and I'm not that. I am a public servant in, in the sense that I make it my business to be involved and engaged in my community. Even the arts, and of course, I studied music in school, and then I finished in journalism. So for me, the arts is, I'm passionate about the arts, and, and arts and communities in particular. So I also do work in that. I'm on the board of the, um, um, the Auditorium Theater at uh, Roosevelt University. And that's, all those things are important to me. But again, to start, to go back to the beginning, it goes back to my, my parents. They raised me to know that I have to be connected to my community, and I have to give back. I have to achieve and you know, get, the, get the degree, get the jobs, absolutely, that's fine. And work hard, but also once I've achieved a certain level of what some might define success, to give back to the community. That's really incredible, Roderick. Your parents must be very proud. June is National Pride Month, and pride has a very different meaning and feeling this year. Rights for the LGBT community cannot be framed without rights for the African-American Black community and our communities of color. As an out gay Black man, tell us what's important for us to consider as we celebrate Pride this year. That's a great question. I think that this is different. Well, I'll say it this way. For me, Pride was never different for me. So for those who say it's different, I, I appreciate that. But for me, it was never different because I've had to navigate the LGBTQ space as a Black man. And I tell people all the time, I'm Black first before I'm gay. Uh, when I walk into a room, you see a Black man. You, you, don't, you may or may not be able to as in the vernacular clock that I'm that I'm gay or tell them but but and but I also have witnessed racism not just in the community in general but also in the LGBTQ community. So for me, pride is all has always been a reminder that this movement would not be what it is. It would not have gone as far as it has. I'm speaking of the LGBTQ civil rights movement without the first bricks being thrown and the first spikes and riots being held by trans-identified women of color, like um, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. So for me, I, I like to, I use it as an opportunity to remind my uh, family members who are part of the LGBTQ community that you wouldn't have what you have without people of color. So let's be sure that, that we make room for people of color, for our trans siblings to be active as we celebrate Pride. So it is a moment to acknowledge the success and the accomplishments and that we, you know, there is that we have we have same-sex marriage rights. We now have new, you know, we, we can be we are protected in the workplace now. And we're gonna talk about that a little later, but let's not forget who you owe this success to. People that you don't always have at the galas and the balls and the um the land of legal events. I have to call my own organization out, but to but to those who may not, who are not seen who are not heard and are some often not invited to the table when it comes to fighting for our freedom. So that's how I always have looked at pride. Yes, we pause and celebrate and we should, but we also have to remember we have so much more work to do to be more inclusive, to be more welcoming and to be more accepting. As a proud member of the LGBT community, tell us what influenced you to become involved with LGBTQ advocacy organizations like Lambda Legal, where you're currently sitting on their board of directors. I always, Lambda Legal impressed me because I attended an event, oh gosh, over probably a decade ago now. And I got to see for myself firsthand that um, the the impact of their work. We like to say impact litigation. So I saw firsthand the impact of their work and I was able to understand how this does impact my daily life. Um, while it's one thing to not to, and, and you, you know, there's so many organizations, they're all, and they all, many of them do great work. 
not all of them, many of them do great work. But I was impressed with Lambda Legal in particular because of how one lawsuit, right, can change history. That was important to me. So I began, I wrote a check, a small check, and got connected. And then when I was at the Chicago Urban League as the vice president there, we were involved in the statewide um, push for marriage equality in, in Illinois. I was actually on the steering committee, the statewide on the statewide steering committee, um, and and that and I got on that committee thanks to uh, the former head of the Midwest Office of Land Legal. So I was always so I began working with Land Legal in that space. And when we ran into a roadblock on getting that bill passed, and that was 2013, one of the issues that we that came front and center, which goes back to where we started this conversation, was that there was a lot of in the national push and also in statewide pushes for marriage equality, there was not a real engagement, an authentic engagement with communities of color. It was one of those things of, well, it's civil rights. Okay, great. And it's just like yours. Like, well, not necessarily. So let's have that nuance. There was not a willingness to have a nuanced dialogue with people of color, particularly black people, about why this matters. So I was able to be a part of that and bring a voice to the table. And I can, and so fast forward, I joined the board in 2015 and have been a voice for the overall LGBTQ community, including folks who are living with HIV, but also making sure that there is an opportunity to bring my voice, my Black voice, and my Black perspective to the table. And has, has that been met with some resistance? Of course. Has there, has there been some challenges at times? Absolutely. But we have to have the dialogue. We have to make room at the table. And, and, there, and that, that's, why, that's why I'm there. That's why I'm involved. That's why I support organizations like the Asian of Chicago. That's why I've supported organizations like the Center on Halstead, because not just because of the work that they do is great. Howard Brown is another one I must mention, too. But also some of them do great and some of them don't do so well when it comes to lifting black voices. But if I'm giving, whether I'm writing a check, whether I'm showing up at a gala, whether I'm on a board of directors, I know our voice has to be heard and has to be there. And that will help them shift their paradigm when it comes to representation. So let's shift for a second to talk about intersectionality, a term that's come to mean the way in which we personally identify that encompasses racial and ethnic identity, sexual orientation, gender, and even political affiliation. You've talked about some of those identities as an out gay black man and how those points of intersection have shaped your experience. Can you talk a bit about how these points of intersection have impacted your work? Sure. Uh, I have... um which is why um, I'll try to get choked up here. Um, the, the, this week is so, what happened in the Supreme Court this week is so important. I have had to um, struggle, I guess that's the best way I can describe it, to bring my full authentic self to the workplace um, throughout my career. Um, sometimes that has been worked out quite well. Sometimes there's been some challenges and you have to manage the microaggressions and the macroaggressions from folks. Um, but for me, that's just the workplace. I think it's important that everyone, everyone is able to show up in any space, whether it's the workplace, whether it's, you know, with their family and friends, whether it's in the activist space, whatever, every, every, every front you can think of. It's important to be there to bring your whole self to that, your, and, and whether that's your race, your gender, your gender identity, your, um, you, you know, yes, your sexual orientation, all those things. It's so important. And I believe that, and it's, I know sometimes people folk in the DNI space use this, but I really do believe that the more you have that diversity and more the, the more you challenge yourself, we challenge ourselves to be intersectional um, and not make it just a buzzword, but actually an, an action word and put some action behind it. 
the better off we all are. And one place I learned that so much was when I was at the Chicago Urban League. I was there for eight years, eight and a half years, where we often were challenging and questioning and calling out issues and systems. One thing that resonated with many people, especially the corporate type, was that when you find that the more diverse your team is, especially your leadership team, your C-suite team, it can probably increase your revenue. So for those who couldn't understand it from just the, it's just the right thing to do perspective, well, let's talk about your bottom line, right? And, it, and how it impacts your bottom line. So for me, and when it comes to getting things done and, and, and it comes to shared movements, that's where I, I want to go there and, I'll, and I'll, I'll stop there. Um, we wouldn't have one movement without the other, right? King, Dr. King learned some tips from, from Gandhi that he was taught from Bayat Rustin, who was, of course, uh, an openly gay black man in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and so on. You've got, obviously, every movement borrows from the one prior to it. And I think that when sometimes we don't do enough, we don't pause enough to say, oh, yeah, this journey, well, sometimes we kind of get into our silos that there are some, there is some interconnectedness in who we are and how we got where we are. Sometimes that's difficult and sometimes painful and sometimes that's fraught with peril. But acknowledge that and find ways that we can work together because it really, it makes a difference. And yes, you mentioned political creation as well. And it's true. There's, there's all those things make us who we are. James Baldwin has a quote, I'm going to definitely you know, mess it up right now, but it's true about, it essentially says, you know, one of the greatest things about being an American is that, you know, I, I, you can love this country, but also I have every right as an American to criticize her. And I believe that is one of the joys that I find sometimes about being in this country. You know, even with this, with this challenging past and challenging present, you can't have this nation without, without us, without me, and people that look like me and others. So let's work together. It, it behooves us all to work together and meet me at the intersection. And what I'm learning, telling people right now, I'm not, it's not my job to bring people to the intersection. You find your way there and I'll meet you there and then we can do some stuff together better. Thank you for that, Roderick. That was really powerful. Uh, it was a really powerful perspective for everyone to consider. There have been some significant legal victories for the LGBTQ community over the past decade. Lawrence, Windsor, and Obergefell in 2015 reaffirmed the fundamental right to marry for same-sex couples. In all of these rulings, the Supreme Court relied on principles such as liberty and dignity. But that was not the case on June 15th when the Supreme Court delivered what is perhaps the biggest victory for LGBTQ rights to date. In a six to three decision, the Supreme Court ruled that Title VII protects LGBTQ employees from discrimination in the workplace. In the majority opinion, Justice Gorsuch wrote that when an employer fires an employee for being homosexual or transgender, that employer fires the person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. And what matters is whether changing the employee's sex would have yielded a different choice by the employer. Therefore, sex plays a necessary and undisguisable role in the decision, exactly what Title VII prohibits. This is a watershed moment for LGBTQ rights. While the same-sex marriage ruling applied to all same-sex couples who wanted to marry, the newest ruling is further reaching by providing employees who identify as LGBTQ from employment discrimination. Roderick, tell us, what was your reaction to hearing the decision? Were you surprised? Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, thanks. Thanks for that great recap. Just listening listen to you talk about it, you know, got me, um, gave me some goosebumps. So it was, it was joy. I mean, you know, mixed joy, you know, think about this, this, uh, now, this watershed moment came in the midst of um, what we're going through as a nation, this, what I hope is a reckoning of, on race that will actually yield some results. So you're in the midst of that and feeling the, and as a, as a black person, and you know, feeling the fatigue of that, and then having this moment of sort of a surprise joy, right? I believe that many of us, including folks at Land Legal, we were sort of we you know we're bracing ourselves for different types of reactions, right? Okay, well, what if they told me just they don't get this, this, and we have a problem because it's it it is the Supreme Court. Um, what if it's a mixed kind of ruling, whatever that would look like? What if they somehow don't include our trans siblings in this? Uh, there was all these scenarios were kind of playing out. And then it pops out there and you're like, whoa, it was it was huge. And I'll say that I compared, I thought about, five years, so I think back to five years ago when we got the marriage ruling. I actually was in China um, with chaper- helping chaperone a trip of students with the Chicago Urban League that we took to China to explore the middle of that trip. And while I was elated and joyful and happy, that I was more so joyful and happy for my friends that were coupled, that were planning to get married. And I thought, and I even, and I fought for this, hard for this. It was, I was a bit removed from that, not just removed by, you know, by the time zone and by, by being on a different continent, a different country. It also was not on my priority list. Uh, and, as, and, and, and it wasn't, and it still isn't, to be honest with you. Um, so for me, I was like, yay, good for us. And, but, to see this, this impact, this really does impact all of us. Those of us who are out, those of us who are questioning whether I do come out or not, and those who are in the closet still in their workplaces. And, and I think about those who have spent decades, decades having to hide and lie and say, oh, this is my roommate, um, all those things, right? Because they were scared, totally scared to death that they would lose their employment and their benefits and all those things. So to see that this is a, this moment occurred, even in the midst of where we are as a nation, it was, a, it, was an, it was an affirming moment. It was a joyful moment. And it also sort of lets us know we still got work to do, but it was, it was I, I took, I did take the moment to just have some joy, right? And I think, I hope everyone who felt good by, whether you're part of the community, you're an ally, a comrade, whatever, that people found the moment to take, to get some joy out of this, some affirmation out of this, and also know that, okay, you know, like I said, honor the past, those who came before us, those who could never speak out and be out in the workplace, but know that the path is now laid for the future, for the next generation, for us. It's laid for us now in this moment, but also for the generations that will follow us. It was an important battle in, in the fight, but it certainly wasn't the end of the, it wasn't the end of the war. And, right. and you know, I have to share with you, I, regarding the, the Title Seven ruling, I was concerned, but I was hopeful. Um, mm. Obviously, we've recently seen a blow to healthcare and benefits coverage for trans individuals, but I was really hopeful that we as a country were on the verge of a significant evolution and that we as a country were ready. So I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was thrilled to hear the news. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that. And it's, 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 it's yeah, it's, it is, it was thrilling. It was thrilling. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, and we've like, yeah, the, and the, the fight continues, the struggle continues. Roderick, tell us about how Lambda Legal worked to influence these key decisions. Ah, that's a good question. And I should give my disclaimer for those who are listening. I am not a lawyer, but Lambda Legal has been at the center of this work for many years, um, which, which again, is, speaks to why I 
have been a longtime supporter. Um, we were counsel of record in the seven, in the Seventh Circuit Court case from Indiana that was Hively v. Ivy Tech, which was the first federal appeals case to rule that LGBT people were covered by Title VII. And we also argued as amicus before the Second court, Circuit Court in the Zarda case, which is one of the three cases the Supreme Court just ruled in. Yay. We were counsel of record in Evans v. Georgia Regional Hospital in the 11th um, Circuit and won a landmark victory on behalf of a Georgia State employee who was fired for being transgender in Glenn v. Brumby, which also in the 11th Circuit. And um, since the start of 2019, we've presented arguments as either party, counsel, or amicus on... Um, these questions in the third, fifth, eighth, and tenth circuits. And I must give a special shout out to Greg Nevins, who's been on the Land Legal team for a, quite some time. Now he's based in Atlanta. And Greg, I remember talking to Greg, um, having a lunch meeting with Greg in Chicago. He had done one of his arguments here and and just seeing the journey and um, how we've gotten this far. And I've been on the board of Land Legal now, as I said, since 2015. So seeing just that journey in cases and the the, the challenges that come with them and sometimes getting even even getting setbacks. Um, so I got to give Greg a significant shout out here and all the folks at the, on the legal team at Lambda Legal who work tirelessly every single day to get to fight for rights. And I just think it's um it's it's tremendous. It's tremendous. It's, it's tremendous work. And and I'll say this is it's not at all to um as the young folks say throw shade at anybody or any other organization, but impact litigation matters and. I'm all for parades. I'm all for great marketing. I'm all for great videos and great speeches. But land illegal is fighting in the courts. And as we have seen, we saw five years ago. We saw it years before that. We saw it just this week. It's in these courts where we sometimes where we can win these battles. So I'm, that's where land illegal comes in and why I'm very proud to be on the board of directors. And we are incredibly proud of DLA Piper to be a partner with Lambda Legal. Uh, we, are, we are proud to support their continued work. And we are grateful that we've got you on board. So let's take a second and talk about Justice Gorsuch's argument. It, it revolved around what constitutes discrimination on the basis of sex. Similar language is used in other federal statutes, and the ramifications of this decision may not be limited to employment discrimination, but also discrimination in healthcare, in housing, and beyond. However, experts are saying that these changes may not be automatic and will likely require substantial litigation. Can you tell us about some of Lambda's priorities focused on other forms of discrimination facing the LGBT community, like violence against the trans community, specifically the trans community of color? Uh, yes, I can talk a little bit about that. Lambda Legal has you know, a, a significant portfolio. And then when I get my board books, when we meet, I am always just blown away by the, the volume of the work that the legal team and, and all, all the staff do. When we talk about lived equality, that, that means everything. That's for folks who are single, folks who are seniors, folks who are in family, who have families or trying to just create families. Um, when it comes to, um, and, and of course, those who are living with HIV, we, Lambda Legal also is now in, has for years, but but even more so recently, been a, a leading voice when it comes to protecting the rights of our transgender siblings. And I must also say, um, it's not just what the work we do in the courtroom, but it's also part of our inner, our team and our leadership team and the, some of the dynamic lawyers. We have attorneys on the land of legal um, staff that are of trans experience. So everything from when it comes to our trans siblings, um, you know, 
getting the correct birth certificate when the transition is made, fighting for healthcare rights in in space. We are even right here in um in Illinois, we made we were at, represented a couple, um, Precious Brady Davis and Miles Brady Davis, um, a couple of trans experience who were having a, a live with a beautiful baby girl this year. Um, but to but just to ensure that Miles was listed as the father on the birth certificate, that had to that had to happen in Illinois. So we represented them to make sure that 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 the state of Illinois did right by them once they gave birth to their beautiful daughter, and they we did so everything. And and then, of course, I've met we've had we've had clients that have have had so much traumatic experience when it comes who touched the criminal justice system. So we've been involved in making sure that some of our our siblings, our trans siblings who have who are incarcerated, get the treatment that they deserve, get the meds that they need, get the the, the cosmetics even that they need, even some basic things like cosmetics. So we have fought and we were we fought we we've been doing this for a long time and we're 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 not going anywhere. We're gonna continue doing this and I could go on and on, but I do want to say I wanna definitely invite the listeners to go to our website, go to learn about, about all of the work that we're doing to fight for transgender rights. And also there's even a toolkit that we give that gives our transgender siblings just some toolkits on knowing their rights how we can be of service to them and how they can also be their own advocates, but how, and then if they need us in the legal sense, how land legal can be there for them. And of course, this of course includes trans women of color. We cannot, we would not, as I said earlier, we would not be where we are right now. We would not be celebrating what happened in the Supreme Court this week were it not for trans women of color that stood up for us and people who are nameless and faithless that have been our our support system, our adopted family, our chosen family for decades that are part of the trans community. And uh, I got to take a moment to just honor them and thank them for their work and also know that we, we know we could do better. We must do better, all of us, by them. And I'm glad that Lambda is doing more and that we're not going to stop. The Bostick ruling has also renewed interest in the Equality Act, the bipartisan LGBTQ rights bill that passed the House of Representatives in 2019 and is currently awaiting a vote in the Senate. The bill would prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, public education, and more, and really highlights the continued road ahead towards reaching the point of equality. Roderick, tell us, how can people get involved to make the case for equality in the courts and also, more importantly, even the court of public opinion? I must admit, when I first heard about the Equality Act some years ago and there was discussion about it, I went, oh, yeah, good luck with that, too. Um, and I, with some folks who I know who were involved with it because I felt, OK, have you done the work? If you're going to open up and um, include and add more inclusion into the language that was that many people in the community that raised me hold sacred, right? Voting rights act, citizen rights, civil rights act, housing. Are you doing that in an authentic way that connects with the Black community? And the work is being done. And now to see that we've got the House has already... Now, now, now I mean, I was, I was um, skeptical that we didn't even get far. But now that we are in a place that it's gone so far, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm impressed and I'm all for it. So let me just talk to answer. So to answer your question, uh, one important way people can get uh, more involved is to help land the legal bill support for the Equality Act, which, you know, again, will, will, that will confirm the decision about Title VII and how it should how it should be understood and applied. The bill updates the words of Title VII statute to, to say explicitly that discrimination based on sexual orientation 
or gender identity is a is a form of unlawful sex discrimination, it would make that same change to the parts of uh, federal laws forbidding sex discrimination, housing, education, health care, and access to credit. And it also updates in two ways the federal civil rights laws that apply to organizations that serve serving the public, that services provided to the public by private institutions that receive federal funding. Uh, right now, these laws currently forbid discrimination based on race, color, national origin, and religion, and which is important and critical and vital. Um, but the Equality Act will add protection against um, discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity. And it will also expand the scope of the laws to cover retail businesses, transportation services, banking, and various other types of services. And as I mentioned, the House passed the bill um, last year. And um, we've got to help us call on the Senate to do their job. And and do the same. It's time and it's important for everyone in our community, especially those who are most vulnerable to discrimination. Again, the people, folks I mentioned before, who sometimes are often unseen, unheard and uninvited to the table. We all deserve fair treatment. And uh, this is what our country promises us. And it's time that they deliver on these basic civil rights, basic human rights. Thank you for that, Roderick. The SCOTUS ruling is an important step forward for LGBTQ rights in the workplace. But creating inclusivity in workplaces for LGBTQ employees must transcend non-discrimination laws, and employers must work intentionally to create inclusive workspaces. And as DNI professionals, we strive to create work environments that are inclusive, where employees feel safe and encouraged to bring their authentic selves into the community, into the organization, and where differences are valued and celebrated. At DLA Piper, we have six active resource groups that advocate for its members and communities and advise firm leaders on important matters and challenges. We have more than 20 local office DNI committees across the US firm charged with educating, raising awareness, and impacting office culture. Through the firm's pro bono efforts in support of key organizations committed to the work of DNI, like Lambda Legal, the firm is investing in resources that help to fight racism, social injustice, and truly work towards creating a culture where difference is valued and celebrated. Roderick, from your perspective, how can we as individuals and allies and colleagues contribute to building a more inclusive work environment and even social circle? For individuals, I am going to start using advice I learned myself from a uh, panel discussion that I just hosted, um, moving from allyship to comradeship. And at where allies are great, and you know you can meet me at the intersection, um, but if but comrades, you are willing to help dismantle um, systems that have been in place for a long time. Um, so I think that moving from allyship to comradeship to be to be be willing to go in the fight with me and 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 come out strong stronger together, even when it's painful, even when it's difficult. Whether that's conversations in the workplace, whether that's um, actively speaking up when you see a lack of people of color in a boardroom and on, on, on the list of partners at a, at a, at a firm, when you look at supplier diversity or lack thereof. Um, when you look at who you're bringing in to be your speakers, how, how who you're bringing in as your your summer summer fellows or summer interns, I mean it goes in all all of those things. I think it is again. I began this conversation. We started the conversation. I said, you know, well, to whom much is given, much is required. That was a lesson that was taught to me. That goes to everybody, I believe. If you've been given much, even if it's conscious or unconscious, based on the privilege of the race you were born into, or your gender, or what have you. 
You've been given much, whether you recognize it or not. Much is required of you to level the playing field, to really pursue equity and inclusion and diversity. It's not enough to simply say we have a resource group. That's important. That's, that's valuable, right? Especially to those who are who the employees. What are you doing to make sure that your organization from the boardroom from, or from the, the, the partners to, to the, um, the front staff, the reception staff, which is sometimes easy to fill, uh, rep- reflects the diverse, the rich and, richness and diversity of this nation and of this and, and the cities where you're located. I think there's also opportunities to get involved in organizations that speak to your values. I mean, obviously, Land Legal is one of the reasons that connected um, DLA us to this chat conversation we're having right now. But there are others out there that you may feel important to be aligned with, whether it's part of the Black Lives Matter movement, maybe it's the Urban League, maybe it's the NAACP, maybe it's um, Unidos, which is formerly La Raza. Uh, there, there, I could go on and on. There are so many organizations that are out there and things you can do broadly. And yes, I love the question about your circle, your inner circle. Um, it's important for people, I think it's important for white people, cis white people in particular, to step out of the comfort zone and listen and listen some more and listen again. And then let's try to work towards establishing those authentic connections with people that don't look like you. It's going to be difficult. It may be challenging. It may be painful. You may hear things you don't want to hear. But remember, the person that you're speaking with and engaging with has had to navigate this world in that space all their lives. So honor that perspective, appreciate that perspective, but also bring your own to the table, but be willing to listen and learn. As I mentioned, we're at this reckoning right now. People say that we're at a place, all these corporate statements about, you know, Black Lives Matter and being connected to the community is great, but that's your PR firm. I've done that. I'm a comms person. I've done spin for over 20 years. I want us to get beyond that. What happens after you put your statement out? What happens after you do Blackout Tuesday? What happens after you... You know, maybe you write a big check to a national organization. What happens in the data in your daily walk? Right. We all have to challenge ourselves to that. It's not enough to just text your black friend and say, just thinking about you. That's cute. That's nice. But what are you what are you hearing what they're going through? Do you take a moment to just sit and learn? Are you reading books and materials that help? not just you, but help empower you and your community at large. I think it's, we all benefit from stepping out of our comfort zones. Many of us, we, our daily lives, that's it's out of our comfort zones. But I think those who have been shielded by the protection of their, the skin they're in, I think it's um, in their gender and their sexual orientation. I could go on. There's an obligation now to do more and to step up. And I hope they will meet us at, at the intersection. Because change is here, change is, and this change is going to continue happening. So that's that's my that's a long answer, I know, but that's really my that's how I feel, and it comes not just from what I you know just observe. It comes from what I've seen the benefit of it. I've seen what happens when white allies become comrades. It's possible, and it and it makes a difference, and it's transformative. I've seen it myself. That's why I know it can happen, and it and it can it can be real, and it can be impactful and meaningful. So that's my challenge. That's my hope. That is my wish. Um, that's my prayer. <laughs> Pick a word. That's, so that's why I'm, I'm hopeful. I remain hopeful. Roderick, you've, you've talked about, uh, you've made an important point. You've talked about moving from allyship to comradeship. What can 
people do to make that shift, that it's not just about lip service, it's about actually committing, it's about taking action. So how do people in, in your perspective shift from being an ally to, to an, a comrade? I think it's different, it depends on this, the, the individual, but I think it's important to just extend oneself to know that there's a world beyond the world you live in. There's an opportunity to connect with someone who happens to be different from you, but there are some common things that you may have. I mean, there's some common experience that you may have. Um, listening is critical. Listening with an open mind and an open heart and being willing to be uncomfortable and being willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. Even if that means having something facilitated, it's worth it. Acknowledge your privilege, check your privilege, and even use your privilege when you can to speak out and be a comrade when you see an injustice, when you see something that is wrong, don't just, you know, hover in your corner and go, well, I can be comfortable in my whiteness or my gender or whatever, my sexual orientation. No, speak up, step up and speak out because realize that there is a, there is a fatigue that comes with, in my opinion, being Black and navigating this world as we have to navigate it. There's a fatigue. So your, your Black friends are tired. There's an article I read that says, you know, to our white colleagues, yes, your, your, your Black friends are tired. And we are or your colleagues are tired. So extend that helping hand, extend that support, but also be willing to just listen and learn and know that, and even when, so within structures of organizations, do more, okay? You have that statement, great, good for you. What are you going to do what, to back up that statement? You, there's an opportunity now, I think we have an opportunity, organizations, companies, firms, what have you, have an opportunity now to look at everything to see how can we do better? What if, where have we missed the ball? Here? Where, have we, where have we dropped the ball here? Where have we missed the opportunity here? That is not an easy process, but it is so worth it. And I know, and I believe that if we do it as individuals in our own personal lives, in our professional lives, and, and if we also encourage the places where we work, it just takes a little bit of bravery, a little bit of just, it, it, will, it will go a long way. And, if you, and I, I really believe that people will see a difference once they, just take that risk and, 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 and be willing to learn more and challenge their own thinking. Roderick, we are so grateful to have had you here with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your perspective, and most importantly, for spending time with us. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Natalie. It's been great talking with you. It's been great getting to know you during this time of uh, DLA Piper and Land Legal have formed a great partnership. And to everyone at um, um, DLA Piper, thanks for listening. Thanks for the opportunity. And, uh, and a special thanks to my dear friend, Finamore, for um, being part of this uh, dynamic DNI team, leading to the dynamic DNI team. So it's been a pleasure.